I just love what you do for me. You're so reliable, smart and incredibly well-connected. <clears throat> Excuse me, could I pay for my meal? Oh, of course, just having a moment with my Combank Smart Terminal. Tap away. Feel a stronger connection. With extra connectivity, you're always payment ready. There's more to love with the Combank Smart Terminal. Mm, it is a nice terminal. Eligibility criteria, fees and T's and C's apply. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary health care. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. Hello everyone and welcome to the first Medicubes episode for 2024. We are so excited to be back on the virtual studio today recording our first episode. Riv, happy new year. Great to be back recording with you. Oh, happy New Year to you too, Chris, and we're a little bit sad that Kim is not joining us on the panel today, but we found ourselves already into February and it feels a bit weird now, doesn't it, saying Happy New Year, but we are absolutely back for <laughs> the year for Medicubes and it is very exciting. I was hoping maybe it's 2025 and someone listens to it and I think we did this on the 3rd of January and we were very, very, very organised <laughs> in what we do. Riff, exciting episode today. Who have we got joining us? So let me introduce Leonie to you. She has worked in general practice for well over 20 years. She's a member of the management team at the fabulous Blackburn Clinic, a group of three general practices in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Leonie has always had a strong belief that registrars should not only be trained to be great GPs, but that they should also be trained to be successful, sustainable business people. Yeah, go you, Leonie. I absolutely share that sentiment with you. That belief resulted in her presenting to registrars for EVGPT, which was the Eastern Victorian GP Training Organisation and MCCC, and more recently, the RECGP on the business of general practice. Leonie was the first practice manager representative appointed to the General Practice Supervision Australia or GPSA board. And in 2023, she became the first practice manager elected to the GPSA board. What a massive achievement and uh, well done. Uh, look, it impresses me both from, you know, the organisation that GPSA is, but also having a female and a practice manager representing on that board, I think is absolutely uh, massive. As well as her practice management role at the Blackburn Clinic, Leone also works part-time for GPSA as the Chief Operations Officer, so a nice beefy operational role, and bringing real-life general practice experience to that team. She uses the experience to support the practice managers who make up such an integral part of the supervision teams who are training the next generation of general practitioners. Welcome, Leonie. It is just absolutely awesome to have you as part of the first podcast for this year. Oh, thank you so much, Rivka and Chris. It is just such an honour to be here. I was really chuffed to be asked. So thank you very much for um, inviting me onto your podcast. 
Fantastic. So as you know, Leone, we tried to start off with a little bit of a fun fact, right? We want to take the sting out of talking about registrars and uh, training within general practices. Can you hit us with a fun fact about you that people might not necessarily know to kick off our conversation? Okay, so fun fact about me is that I'm always really self-conscious about whether or not I smell. And so (laughs) even before I go into any meeting, even if it's an online meeting, I have to have a spray of perfume. It just gives me a little bit more self-confidence. So I'll be in a room on my own or at home on my own, but the perfume still has to come out before I go into a meeting. Well, fabulous. And of course, we are in an online meeting here recording this podcast Mm. and you smell absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I was going to say, Thank when we you. get smell vision I'm going to be signing up for your webinars because it sounds like it'll be fabulous. <laughs> hey, Riv, when we were thinking about a great episode to start the year with, I was thinking in my practice, January is always registrar starting. You know, it was always that changeover, new registrar starting, and we're always down a few people in reception and some docs away with holidays. So I think that's why we got to thinking that the registrars was a great way to start the year and a great topic to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It tends to be end of January, early February that we get the new cohort coming through. And it's always the time that we see the questions arise from the practice management cohort around how do I best prepare? What can I do to set us up for success? Always lots of questions about contracts and agreements orientation and induction and checklists and computers and provider numbers and everything that comes along with that. So I guess we're just so keen to focus on what we can do to prepare really well for those early times when a a registrar comes into the practice because it has such a huge impact on the long-term success of that placement too, doesn't it? Oh, so important. And I guess you mentioned contracts, which is often how we're first engaging with our registrars and we have Leonie with us. Leonie, what is the NTCER and what do practices need to be aware of? Start us off from that very beginning. So the NTCER, the first acronym we need to focus on today, is the National Terms and Conditions for the Employment of Registrars. And it's a document that GPSA and GPRA who are our sister peak, I suppose, negotiate every two years. And it's the minimum terms and conditions that a registrar can be employed under. So you can certainly go above what's in the NTCER, but the NTCER, along with the National Employment Standards, which are set by Fair Work Australia, are the minimum terms and conditions that a registrar can be employed under. Great stuff. And are there any recent changes to the NTCER that are of note that perhaps practice managers may have missed unless they've looked really closely within that document? Yeah, there are, Rivka. There was last year when we negotiated with GPRA, um, one thing that was changed was instead of having a half-hour admin time per day, registrars are, are to be now given half-hour admin time per session up to a maximum of five hours per week, generally half hour in the morning and half hour in the afternoon. But the purpose of that isn't so that they can knock off early or come in late. It's actually so that they run on time. They've got time to do a little bit more of investigations or run those reports or write those reports that may be taking longer than the 15 minutes or the time that's been scheduled for the appointment. 
And Leonie, you know me, I always love a bit of detail. How do practices are you finding reflecting that sort of setup in their diaries? Do they block it out or how's what's you bring advice on how a great way to set that up would be? All I can really tell you is what we're doing at our practice and, and what I suggest for other practices is that we actually mark off two appointments in each session. Generally, if a session's four hours long, you might knock off the sixth appointment and then perhaps one an hour after that because you would hope that the registrar is going to arrive on time so they're going to be on time for their first appointment and if you've scheduled them appropriately they shouldn't be running too far off track until they get to perhaps three or four patients in so after the first hour and a half and then perhaps after three hours which means that they should be able to hopefully unless they get a really complex case get to their lunch on time and then the same thing in the afternoon, about a third of the way through and then two-thirds of the way through the session and then that should let them actually leave on time because we don't want them sitting around till six or seven o'clock at night writing notes. Oh, that's such a good tip. I love some real tangible tips we can take back to our practice and make sure we implement. And I know you mentioned the NTCER were the minimum standards. Why and have you seen when practices negotiate above the NTCER? Yeah, and it's something that I think a lot of practices felt wary about or pressured into doing. So a registrar is a commodity in demand in general practice. There's more practices than there are registrars, so they have got a bit of bargaining power. And from a practice perspective, it's not a bad thing to negotiate if it means that you get the registrar that you're looking for. So we've seen some practices who pay above the minimum hourly amount or above the minimum percentage. We've seen practices who calculate the top-up payment on a more regular basis than 13 weeks, and there's nothing wrong with that. What I do suggest, though, is that when practices do negotiate above the NTCER, they actually get somebody to make sure that what they're doing doesn't have unintended consequences. I've seen examples of where someone has agreed to 60% or 65% and they're not realised that on top of that is superannuation. And so they find that the registrar is getting paid more than the practice principals in some instances. So it's really important to know what your end product is when you're negotiating above those minimum terms and conditions. And for me, that really speaks to the need for practices, practice managers, and probably supervisors to really be very familiar with what are the contents of the NTCER and especially for practices you know, newly coming into the training space that they take the time to understand what is the contractual obligations that they are entering into so that they don't find themselves in hot water after a period of time. It leads me to ask to Leone about how we can have sensitive and productive discussions with prospective registrars about remuneration because I know this is one of the key sticking points for practices about how to negotiate around that. Yeah, you're right, Rivka. It's something that I think doctors in general find really hard to talk about. Doctors won't have the conversation about what the fee is. They send the patient out to reception and they then tell the patient how much it will be or no, you haven't been bulk billed today. So it isn't something that comes naturally to most GPs. I think that we should all accept that money is a part of life and we all have financial needs. Businesses also have financial needs. So I think that you, as a practice, you should be prepared for a conversation. You should be aware that registrars are encouraged to negotiate. 
and make sure that you have either a ceiling that you are prepared to negotiate to already in your mind, or you have some reasons why you wouldn't negotiate prepared as well. So it doesn't need to be an uncomfortable conversation. I think that being able to identify why money isn't the be-all and end-all in training, but that there's many other ways that a registrar is rewarded, and whether that be the rostering arrangements, our registrars work four days a week with the occasional weekend thrown in. So especially for a GPT two or three who's studying, that could be worth much more to have that whole day off than an extra 1% in their remuneration. So I think that practices should know their value so that they can actually suggest to the registrar that it's not all about the money. And we do know that margins in general practice are pretty slim and most practices know what their margins are and how far they can go. If it means that you need to walk away from the table and say, actually, we can't meet your needs, everyone has a price and both parties have to be happy. And I think going into any match where someone is feeling that the other party is not aligned with them is not a great way to start. I think your point about the reality is that everybody has financial needs and that includes registrars and, of course, it includes practices as well. What do you see the role of having frank discussions around the registrar's responsibility for their income is as well? And but what I mean by that is that the quick ramping up of capability and billing capacity and how a practice might support a registrar to quickly learn the tricks of the trade, the ways in which their clinical behaviour can have a large influence on their take-home pay as well. Do you see that as belonging in those early conversations or would your recommendation be to just hold off with that until uh, a registrar is more settled into a practice? Yeah, I I think the first thing that you need to do is make sure that they're clinically Mm -hmm. safe. So that, to me, is our supervisor's first responsibility, is to ensure that the registrar and the patients are safe. But after that, I think it is a really quite an important part of the training, and this is where my focus first started, to make sure that they were sustainable, independent practitioners for the long term. And you can only do that if you are billing appropriately. Um, Obviously, you need to keep within the MBS guidelines. You need to be billing ethically. That goes Mm. without saying. But knowing what item numbers are available, not pinching the big ticket items from your colleagues is really important. (laughs) doesn't go down well when the regular GP goes to do the health assessment and it's already been done. But then again, that goes back to ethical billing. But yeah, it really is up to us to encourage the registrar to value their time to value their learnings. They didn't walk into a seat and sit down and start seeing patients. You know, they've taken eight years minimum before they see that first patient in general practice. So they should value that training um, and encouraging them to build their worth, I think, is really important. It might be easier to bulk bill. It might save some of those difficult conversations or areas where they don't feel very easy, especially having come out of the hospital. They've not had to deal with any of the costs of the tests that they've ordered or the treatment that they're recommending, but they've worked hard to get to where they are and they should be valued and they should value themselves as well. And I think that's a fabulous little segue into my sort of next question I had for you is, is our GPT-1 registrars, they often are a lot more work. And with some of the new frameworks, we hear that they are more work for the GPT-1s. But 
why would a practice consider taking your one rather than a later start stage registrar if, if it is easier and you don't have to do that very first this is how you bill and this is a 23 when you can have a later stage registrar who knows some of the basics or knows all the basics what would your advice be around that I love GPT-1s. When you get a GPT-1, they're enthusiastic, they're willing to learn, and you get to help shape that future professional. So not only do you get to help them clinically, but you also get to help them develop the practices that are going to go, they're going to stay with them throughout their career. And hopefully, if if the stars align, you might actually get somebody who's going to be the future of the practice in which you're working. And I think that's really important. You know, supervision's a hard slog. It's not well remunerated, as we know. So what is in it for the practice? Succession planning, maintaining a young and vibrant doctor demographic for your patients. I look at our practice now and four of our practice principles I've seen come through as registrars and I think that they were all GPT ones with us. I did their orientation and now they're my bosses. That's what you can get from a GPT one and if if you play your cards right you will reap the rewards for many years to come as will they as will they and to be able to see someone come in just brand new and then to watch them grow and develop and thrive and become successful it's just so rewarding it is really rewarding and you're painting such a clear vision and values idea around what it means to be an educator in the field of your profession and i look i guess that goes for any industry really but particularly Mm. important in in healthcare where the risks are high and the need is high as well. So I really resonate with that idea around the passion of developing the future workforce that your heart really needs to be in it because there you are paying for that too in terms of time and energy and mm. effort, but the rewards are there in terms of values and helping another person's career progress to success. And what can be more gratifying than that? Mm. I absolutely love that. Let's dig in a little more into the early days of the registrar coming on board, the orientation, the induction, the meeting the team. What are your practical tips for making that the most positive experience for registrars? I think actually meeting with them before their first day can have a great deal of benefit. I know our GPT-1 who started just a fortnight ago, the day before he started, he and his supervisor met for coffee in a local cafe. So they had already started to build that relationship that's going to be so important for the next six months before he steps through the door. So that was really, really lovely. We're a really big practice. There's lots of faces and lots of names. The number one tool I give our registrars when they start or any new staff member is a great big photo board with everybody's names and their roles. And we go through even who's related to who because it's nothing worse than going and having a little bit of a snipe about someone and then finding out from someone else that, oh, that's their husband or that's their wife, which has occurred in the past because everyone keeps their maiden names when they practice. So, um, So I think that, you know, Just making them feel comfortable, making sure that they realise that, hey, it was hard for us on our first day too. I think that's really important. And I think that actually demonstrating vulnerability is the 
best thing that you can do for anybody in a work environment is letting them know that, hey, this is a safe place to make mistakes. It's a safe place to ask questions. If you don't ask questions, we're going to worry. And letting them know that the staff have been here 20, 30 years. I still ask questions and I consider a day that I don't learn something is a bad day. So just really laying those foundations that you're here to learn. And my motto is you're here to learn, not churn. If you see one patient an hour and that's what you need to start with, that's okay. You're not here to rack up the dollars. You're not here to churn through the patients. You're here to learn. And I think that's the best message that you can give your registrars. And what role do you think the practice manager has in this relationship? And the reason that I ask this is that at times what I encounter is practice managers who see themselves as sitting a little bit more outside of that relationship that a registrar has with their supervisor and considers themselves a a little more in the background. What would be your view on the practice manager's role in supporting the registrar in those early days and ongoing as well, of course? Yeah. I think that the best thing that we can do as practice managers is let them know that we're independent to their supervisor and that we're here for them. So the supervisor often is seen to be in a position of power and registrars can sometimes feel apprehensive about bringing up concerns, whether it be about their training time, the level of supervision they've been given, are they getting the alternate day out of the practice if their normal day off clashes with a workshop on my supervisor needed me to see patients that day. So knowing that the practice manager is there as an independent person, I think is really important and listening to them because there's three versions of the truth always, yours, mine, and what really happened. So, you know, just taking one person's word as gospel isn't going to give you the best outcome, but actually listening to them and understanding where they're coming from. If they do have an issue with their supervisor, I think is really important, but it doesn't even need to be with their supervisor. It could just be, hey, I'm, I'm getting too many patients. I can't cope. I'm running late. Popping your head in, seeing that they're okay, say, how are you going? Let us know if you need us to change your appointment profile being approachable and accessible because as practice managers, some of us sit in a little office and, you know, we might be away from the front desk. We might not be located even on site. For some practice managers, they're not actually in the building. So being approachable and accessible is really important. And Leonie, I think in that same spirit, I know when I was practice managing, I also had to spend a lot of effort supporting our GP supervisors because they have a lot going on in their world as well. And, and they have a full patient load and everything like that. And some of the points that you raised about supporting the registrar, I think would apply very similar to the supervisor. Any other sort of little tips or tricks or thoughts over the years about how we support our GP supervisors? I think that the most important thing a GP supervisor can know is the name and the contact details of their supervisor liaison officer, because that's the person who's actually been appointed to look out for them and to help them, especially as we've transitioned to college-led training, that there are changes, there are different contacts, and supervision like practice management can be lonely. If you're the only supervisor in your practice, it's difficult for anybody else to understand those demands, as you've mentioned, Chris, you know, the full patient load at the moment, reviewing every single consult of a GPT-1, which is what's required now under the RACGP standards. It's tough. And 
just like the registrar can have some issues, supervisors can too. So they need to have somebody that they can turn to. And if they haven't got someone within their practice who can do that for them, then their SLO is a person that they should really be ringing them up and saying, hey, I need some help here, or I just need to debrief, or I just need to rant. And sometimes just having someone saying, yep, I hear you, yep, is really, really important. But yeah, we should, practice managers need to be that independent person who can hear both sides of the conversation and not just hear it, but actually listen. And if you had just one tip from all your wisdom around registrars and the whole ecosystem, what is that one common challenge that registrars experience that, that we as practice managers could be ready to help them out with? The second half of your question changed my answer because my one tip to practice managers was going to be nice to your registrars because one day they'll be your boss. I think that demonstrating vulnerability and the willingness to ask questions to show your registrars that it's okay, that feedback is not a criticism, it's an opportunity to develop. Every opportunity to learn should be taken as a privilege, not as something that's there to knock you down. And I think that it's really important that feedback is given in a positive manner. And, you know, I, I don't like the whole feedback sandwich, something good, something to work on, and then something good again. We should take the something to work on as a gift that somebody's given us. And I think that if we're willing to take that and we're willing to ask for feedback and we're willing to act on that feedback and not just assume that no, I must be right, they're, they're interpreting what I'm doing incorrectly. But listening to that, I think, is really important. From a clinical perspective, I think that putting yourself, trying to learn about your patients, not only the, what they're presenting with clinically, but also their cultural background too, is really important. Some people will hear things differently, just as we all take react differently to feedback. Our patients will hear what the doctor's got to say differently as well, depending on how they've been brought up, what their cultural background is, their traditions. So trying to put yourself into the patient's shoes and speaking as the patient would like you to, rather than the way you think is the right way to speak to them. And I probably haven't articulated that very well, but trying to put yourself into their shoes, I think is really important. Great stuff. Leonie, can you articulate a little bit more true about the impact and importance of supporting registrars in terms of their social and family needs as well. Oh absolutely it's being in a metro practice it's not something that I do very well because I assume that the registrars who are coming to our practice and I can normally see from their CVs that they live relatively locally or they're from Melbourne somewhere. So I assume that they're still living in their normal home, that they've still got access to their normal networks. But especially for those registrars who are moving further away from home or perhaps doing a regional or a, a rural placement and they're totally separate from their families for perhaps five days a week, it's really important to build up those connections for them. So orientation might not just include the local hospital and the nursing home, but it's, hey, this is a great cafe for coffee. This is the gym that a lot of the patients go to. So you might want to choose the other gym down the other end of the street unless you want to see the last patient of the day um, watching you do your push-ups. Just making sure that they're aware of what's around sporting clubs. If a registrar has brought their family with them, 
really important that you orientate the whole family. So this is the basketball club, the netball club, the swimming pool, all of those sorts of things because the more connected your registrar can be within the community, the more likely they're going to stay in that community. If you just drop them there and expect them to make connections, it's not going to happen. And also I've heard of one registrar whose family was in Adelaide and she was placed in Mount Gambia and she drove to Mount Gambia every Monday morning before she started consulting, which just wasn't safe for her or her patients. And and it wasn't until she hit a kangaroo one morning that she actually decided, you know what, I actually need to be more embedded in Mount Gambia. But the practice had a responsibility to provide those supports for her so that she felt at home in Mount Gambia for that six months. And look, what happens if the relationship between the practice and the registrar breaks down? Who, who can we turn to? Where can we look for support? Great question, Chris, and it's one that we deal with a lot at GPSA. The first thing that I would suggest a practice should do, and this only works if both parties are aware that there's a problem, is actually having an open conversation and sitting down and having those hard, that hard chat. Okay, things don't seem to be going well. Can you let us know what it is from your perspective that isn't working? Or we'd like to discuss these things with you because this relationship at the moment is not working for us. So sometimes you do have to just put that discomfort to one side and try to work it out because it's in everyone's best interests that you do. You know, a registrar leaving a practice and to go elsewhere is potentially out of work for six weeks at least because there's no quick fix on a Medicare provider number. So it's not great for a registrar to find themselves without a placement. It impacts on their training time and it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So I'd always suggest first that the two parties try to have a conversation and the little trick that I use or the term that that I was taught when I was parenting teenagers was connect before you correct. So try to actually understand things from the other person's point of view before you tell them what you want them to be doing because you might not actually be aware of what's going on for them. So connect before you correct, I think, is a a good little saying for all of us to try and, and use in all facets of life. But if things do get too hard, the registrars have got GPRA there for them. The practices, so the supervision team, General Practice Supervision Australia, we're there for the practice managers and the supervisors. The colleges have got liaison officers for the supervisors and the practice managers. The colleges won't get involved in an industrial dispute. That's not their remit. It's really up to the parties of the relationship to talk to each other, but then to talk to their peak bodies if they need that extra support. And sometimes it can be a misunderstanding. I know I've had practices come to GPSA and say, the registrar says I'm, I'm underpaying them. I'm not. Can you check it? And then you go back and say, hmm, yep, you are. You owe them this much and I suggest you fix that up and then everything's fine. So just having that independent third party confirming what they believe. Sometimes I've sent an email to GPRA and said, can you check that the answer that I'm giving is correct because this is the answer that's going to go back to your member 
means a lot more to the registrar if GPRA said, actually, the practice is doing the right thing, this and this and this and this and this, that all counts as supervision. That all counts as part of your teaching time. You are getting your teaching time. It's just not in the format that you may have expected it to be. Using those two peak bodies, I think, is really important. And those two peak bodies, we call ourselves two sides of the same coin. It's not us and them. Without registrars, there's no supervisors. Without supervisors, there's no registrars. It's in everybody's interests that we work together. Great stuff. What a wonderful conversation, Leonie. There's just so much richness in the advice that you've given around how we can best support registrars in those early days. I can't help but think about the pearls of wisdom that actually apply across the entire practice team in terms of how do we communicate, how do we correct, how do we staff performance manage, and how do we support our entire practice team to work effectively and safely and productively. All of those lessons uh, still apply. So I've really appreciated the conversation today. Oh, Leonie, I'm just so grateful that you've shared this wisdom with us. I feel energized for 2024 after hearing this and just so many bits of wisdom that we can use our registrars, but as Riv said, just with our practice team and our practice principles, there's just some, some amazing pearls of, of wisdom. Any final thoughts from you before we wrap up the episode? No, not from me. I'd just like to say it's an adventure. I never like the word journey. I think that we're on an adventure in life and taking on a registrar is one of the greatest adventures that you can have for both parties. Grab it go with it and you reap what you sow. The more you put in, the more you'll get out of it. And hopefully your registrar will too. So good luck and have fun. Thanks for listening to the Medicubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. Medicubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach and Medical Business Services with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics on the show. Make sure you visit us via the Minicubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.